0: Rise of Absolute Monarchy in France, the World of Louis XIV. Why were efforts to establish absolute monarchy successful in France but unsuccessful in England? Historians once portrayed Louis XIV's reign as a time when French monarchy exerted far-reaching, direct control of all nations at all levels. A somewhat different picture has now emerged. The French monarchy, which has faced numerous challenges from strong, well-armed nobles and dis- contended Protestants c- during the first half of the 17th century only gradually achieved the firm authority for which it became renowned later in the century the groundwork for Louis the 14th absolutism was laid by two powerful chief ministers cardinal Richelieu under Louis the 13th and cardinal Mazarin both Richelieu and Mazarin attempted to impose direct royal administration in French. Richelieu had also circumscribed many of the political advantages Henry IV had extended to the French Protestants in the Edict of Nantes. The centralizing policies of Richelieu and then Marins' However, finally provoked a series of widespread rebellions among French nobles between 1649 and 1652, known as the Fondé, after the slingshots used by the street boys. Though unsuccessful, these rebellions convinced Louis XIV and his advisors that heavily handed policies could not endanger the throne. Therefore, Louis could concentrate unprecedented authority in the monarchy, but he would be more subtle in his he his genius was to make the monarchy the most important and powerful political institution in France, while also assuring the nobles and other wealthy groups in their social standings and influence on the local level. Rather than destroying existing local, so- local social and political institutions, Louis largely worked through them. Nevertheless, the king was clearly the senior partner in the relationship. Years of Personal r- Rule On the death of Mar- Marzin in 1661, Louis XIV assumed personal control of the government at the age of 23. He appointed no single chief minister. Rebellions- rebellious nobles would now be challenging the king directly, but they could not claim to be resisting only had bad- only a bad minister. Louis devoted devoted enormous personal clergy to his political tasks. He continued through councils to concentrate foreign affairs, the army, domestic administration, and economic regulations. Each day he'd spend hours with the ministers of these councils, whom he chose from families long in royal service or from among people just beginning to rise in social structure. Unlike the more ancient noble families and later and latter had no real potential power bases in the provinces and depended solely on the king for their standing in both government and society. Louis made sure, however, that nobility and other major social groups would benefit from the growth of his own authority. Although he controlled foreign affairs and limited the influence of noble institutions on the monarchy. He never tried to abolish those institutions or limit the local authorities. The crown, for example, was usually confirmed informally with regional judicial bodies, all called parliaments, before making rulings that would affect like them. Likewise, the crown would rarely enact economic regulations without consulting local opinions. Louis did, however, clash with the Parliament of Paris which had the right to register royal laws. In 1673, he curtailed his power by requiring it to register laws before raising any questions about them. Many regional parliaments and other authorities, however, had long resented the power of the partition body and thus supported the monarch. Versailles Louis and his advisors became masters of propaganda and political image creation. Louis never missed an opportunity to progress grandeur of his, thir- of his crown on the French people, but most importantly the French nobility. He did so by the manipulation of symbols. For example, when Dauphin, the heir to the French throne, was born in 1662, Louis appeared for the celebration dressed as Roman emperor. He also dominated the nobility by demonstrating that he could outspend them all in great Create greater social display than the strongest nobles of the land. The central element of the image of the monarchy was the Palace of Versailles, which, when completed, was the largest secular structure in Europe, more than any which went with any other monarch of the day. Louis XIV used physical setting of his court to exert political control. Versailles, built between 1676 and 1708 on the outskirts of Paris, became the Louis' permanent residence after 1682. It was a temple of royalty designed to decorate and proclaim the glory of the Sun King, as Louis was known. A spectacular estate with magnificent fountains, gardens, it housed thousands of more important nobles, royal officials and servants. The stables alone could hold 12,000 horses. Some nobles paid for their own residence in the palace, thus depleting their resources. Others required royal patronage to remain in residence. In either case, they became dependent on the monarch. Although it consumed over half of Louis' annual revenues for sales paid paid significant political dividends. Because Louis ruled personally, he himself, the chief source of favours and patronage in France to emphasize his prominence. He organized life at court around everyday aspects of his daily routine. Elaborate etiquette governed every detail of his life at Versailles. Moments near the king were important and most court nobles because they were a Effectively excluded from real business and government. The king's rising and dressings were at times rare intimacy. When nobles could hear whispers, their special requests in his ear. Fortunate nobles held his night candle when he went to bed. Some nobles, of course, avoided Versailles. They managed their estates and cultivated their local influence. Many others simply were too poor to cut figure at court. All nobility understood, however, that Louis, like Richelieu and Marnes, would not threaten the local social standing. Louis supported France's traditional structure and social privileges of nobility. Yet even the most powerful nobles that knew that could not strike the most modest figure and compared to the Sun King, King by divine right. An important source of Louis's concept of royal authority was his devout tutor political theorist, Bishop Jacques Bourgine Bousset. Buset defended what he called the divine right of kings and cited examples of Old Testament rulers divinely appointed and answerable only to God. Medieval popes had insisted that only God could judge the pope, but so Buset argued that only God could judge the king. Although kings might be duty-bound to reflect God's will on their rule Yet, as God's regents on earth, they could not be bound to the dictates of mere nobles and parliaments. Such assumptions lay beyond Louis XIV's alleged declarations, La ete cest moi, I am the state. Despite these claims, Louis's rule did not exert the oppressive control over the daily lives of his subjects that police states would do in the 19th and 20th centuries. His absolutism fact functioned primarily in the classic eras of European state action, the making of war and peace and regulation of religion and the oversight of economic activity. Even at the height of his power, local institutions, some controlled by townspeople and others by nobles, retained their administrative authority. The king and his ministers supported social and financial privileges of these local elites. In contrast, the Stuart kings of England, however, Louis firmly prevented them from interfering with his authority on the national level. This system would endure until financial crisis demoralized the French monarchy in the 1780s. Louis's Early Wars. By the late 1600s, France was superior to any other European nation in population, administrative bureaucracy, army, and national unity. Because of the economic policies of Jean-Baptiste Col- Colbert, this his most brilliant minister, Louis could afford to raise and maintain a large and powerful army. His enemies and some later historians claimed that Louis wished to dominate all of Europe, but would appear to that his chief military and foreign policy goal was to achieve secure international boundaries for France. He was particularly concerned about the northern borders along the so- Spanish Netherlands and Franche-Comté, Alsace and Lorraine from which foreign armies could invade France and could so easily do again. Louis was also determined to f- frustrate Habsburg abom Obama- Ambitions that engaged France and as the other part of the goal, sought to secure his southern borders towards Spain, whether reacting to external events or pursuing his own abilities louis Louis's pursuit of French interests threatened and terrified neighboring states and led them to form coalitions against France. The early wars of Louis the Fourteenth included conflicts with Spain and the United Netherlands. The first war was the War of Devolution, in which Louis supported the allied right of his first wife, Marie Therese, to inherit the Spanish Netherlands. He contended that through complex legal arrangements they should have devolved upon her, hence the name of the war. In 1667, Louis' armies invaded Flanders and Franche Clemente. When he was repulsed by the Triple Alliance of England, Sweden, and the United Provinces, by the the Treaty of Aix-la-Chapelle, he gained control of certain towns bordering the Spanish Netherlands. In 1670, with the Treaty of Dover, England and France became allies against the Dutch. Louis invaded the Netherlands again in 1672. The Prince of Orange, the future William III of England, forged an alliance with the Holy Roman Empire, Spain, Lorraine, and Brandenburg against Louis. Now regarded as a menace to the whole Western Europe, Catholic and Protestant alike, the war ended inconclusively with the Peace of Nijmegen, signed with different parties in successive years 1678 1690 France gained more territory including Franche-Comté Louis's repressive religious policies like Richelieu before him Louis believed that political unity and stabli- stability required religious conformity to end he carried out repressive acts against both Roman Catholics and Protestants Suppression of the Jan Suits The French crown and the French Roman Catholic Church had long jealously guarded the ecclesiastical independence or Galician liberties from papal authority in Rome. Galician liberties is the ecclesiastical independence of the French crown and the French Roman Catholic Church from papal authority in Rome. However, after the conversion to Roman Catholicism of Henry IV in 1593, the Jesuits, fiercely loyal to the authority of the Pope, had monopolized on education in the French upper classmen, men, and devout students pro- promoted the religious reforms and doctrines of the Council of Trent. As a measure of their success, Jesuits served as confessors to Henry IV, Louis XIII, and Louis XIV. Bishop Bossuet defends the divine right of kings. The revolutions of the 17th century caused many to fear anarchy, far from tyranny, among the influential French bishop Jacques begin Bejou. The leader of French Catholicism in the second half of the 17th century, Louis XIV made him court preacher and tutor his own son, for whom Bashu wrote to celebrate universal history. In the following excerpt, Bishu defends the divine right of absolute power in kings. He depicts kings of embracing in their person the whole body and state and will of the people they govern, and such being immune from judgment in any mortal sin. The royal power is absolute. The prince needs... Render account of his own acts to no one. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and in that regard of the oath of God, be not hasty to go out of his sight, stand not on the evil things which he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Wherefore the word of the king is how is power, and who may say unto him, What dost thou? Whoso keepeth the commandments shall feel no evil thing. Without the absolute authority of the king could neither do nor repress evil. It is necessary that he that his power be such that no one can hope to escape him, and finally only protection of individuals against political authority should be their innocence. This confirms the teachings of St. Paul. Wilt thou not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good. God is infinite, God is all. The prince is a prince, is not regarded as a private person. He is a public personage. All the state is in him. He will do... The will of all the people is included in this. As the perfection and strength are united in God, and all the power is individual. of individuals is united in the person and the prince. What grandeur a single man should embody so much? Behold the immense people united in a single person. Behold the holy power, paternal and absolute. Behold the secret clause which governs the whole body of the state, contained in a single hand. You see the image of God, the king, and you have the idea of royal majesty. God is holiness itself, goodness itself, and power itself. In these things lie the majesty of God. And the image of these things lies in the majesty of the prince. John Locke denounces the idea of absolute monarchy. John Locke was the most important English philosopher of the late 17th century. As being seen in chapter 6, he wrote a wide variety of subjects, including both political philosophy and religious toleration. In 1690, he published his second Treatise of Civil Government and his work, In his work, he defended limitations on government and rooted political authority in the consent of the governed. He drafted the treaty in the late 1670s in response to the Tory assertions of absolute monarchy set forth by supporters of Charles II. The treaty was published in wake of the revolution in 1688 and was read at the time of the justification that event. Locke's thought would be almost a century later influenced in the American Declaration of Independence. In the passages below, Locke explains that under absolute monarchy, citizens must submit to the authority from which they make no appeal. Consequently, there is a necessary conflict between the citizens and absolute monarchy. It was to escape such conflict and to secure power and liberty, secure property and liberty that human beings had left the state of nature to, be fa- to found civil society. A Roman Catholic religious movement known as Jansenism rose in the 1630s in opposition to the theology and political influence of the Jesuits. Jansuits adhered to the teachings of St. Augustine. And had also influenced many Protestant doctrines, serious and uncompromising. They particularly opposed Jesuit teachings about free will. They believed that Augustine, with Augustine, that original sin had so corrupted humankind that individuals could, by their own effort, do nothing good nor contribute anything to their own salvation. The namesake of the movement, Cornelius Jansen, was a Flemish theologian and the bishop of Ypres. His posthumously published Augustus assailed Jesuits' teaching on grace and salvation of mort morally lax. Jansuism made a considerable progress among the prominent families in Paris. They were opposed to the Jesuits and supported Janus's religious communities such as the Covenant of Port Royal outside of Paris, Jansuits whose Augustine theology Augustinian theology resembled Calvinism were known to live extremely piteously live extremely pious and moral austere lives. In these respects, though the firm Roman Catholics, they resembled English Puritans. Also, like the Puritans, the Jesuits became associated with opposition to royal authority, and the family of Jesuits' sympathies had been involved in the Fronde. On May 30, 1653, Pope Innocent X declared. Hierarchical 5 Jansuits Theology Propositions on Grace and Salvation. In 1656, the Pope banned the Jansuans Augustus. In 1660, Louis permitted the papal bull banning Jansuism to enforce in France. He eventually closed the Port Royal community after Jansuists either reacted to the views or went underground. In 1713, Pope Clement VI used the bull Eugenius, which again executively condemned Janus's teachings, and now the now aged Louis XIV ordered the French Church to accept the bull, despite internal ecclesiastical opposition. The theological theological issues surrounding Janusism were complex, but persecuting the Genesis, however, Louis Fourteenth turned his back on the long tradition of protecting the Galatian liberties of the French Church, and fostered within the French Church a core of opposition to a royal authority. In his head, political significance during the 18th century, after the death of Louis Fourteenth, the Parliament of Paris, and the other French judicial bodies would reassert the authority in opposition to the monarchy. These courts were sympathetic to the Jansuits because of their common resistance to royal authority. Jansenism became the most austere morality and then also became to embody the set of religious and moral values that contrasted. With the eighteenth-century political opinion saw the corruption of the mid-eighteenth-century French royal court. Revocation of the Edict of Nantes. After the Edict of Nantes in fifteen ninety eight, relations between the Catholic majority, nine tenths of the fresh French population, and the Protestant minority had remained hostile. There were about one point seven million Huguenots in France in sixteen sixty. Out of the overall population of about 18 million but their numbers were declining the french catholic church had long supported the persecution of both pius and the patriarch after the peace of nimjuin louis launched a methodical campaign against the huguenots in an effort to unify france religiously he also influenced in his policy by his mistress, who became his second life, Madame de Monte, a deeply pious Catholic who drew Louis towards a much more devout religious observance. Louis hounded Huguenots out of public life, banning them from government office and excluding them from professions as printing and medicine. He used financial incentives to encourage them to convert over to Catholicism. In 1681, he bullied them by quartering troops in their towns. Finally, in October 1685, Louis revoked the Edict of Nantes. and extensive religious op- repression followed. Protestant churches and schools were closed, Protestant ministers exiled, non-convening la- laity were condemned to be galley slaves, and Protestant children were baptized by cath- Catholic priests. The revocation of the major blunder was a major blunder. Henceforth, Protestants across Europe considered Louis a fanatic who must be resisted at all costs. More than a quarter million people, whom many of whom were highly skilled, left France. They formed new communities abroad and joined resistance to Louis in England, Germany, Holland, and the New World. As a result of the revocation, the Edict of Nantes and ongoing persecution of Jesuits, France became a symbol of religious repression, in contrast to England's reputation for moderate, and not, if not complete, religious toleration. Louis's later wars: the League of Augsburg and the Nine Years' War. After the Treaty of Nijmegen in 1678 to 1679 louis maintained his army in full strength and risklessly probed beyond the borders in 1681 his forces occupied the free city of Strasbourg in the rhine river promptly prompting new defense coalitions to form against him one of these was the league of augsburg grew to the include england spain sweden and the united provinces and the major German states. It also had the support of the Habsburg Emperor Leopold I. Between 1689 and 1697, the League and France battled each other in the Nine Years' War while England and France struggled to control North America. The Peace of Rheinsburg, signed in September 1697, ended the war, secured Holland's borders, and thwarted Louis' expansion into Germany. War of the Spanish Succession. On November first, seventeen hundred, the last Habsburg king of Spain, Charles II, died without direct heirs. Before his death, negations neg- had begun among the nations involved in to partitions his inheritance in ways that preserved his existing balance of power. Charles II left his. Entire inheritance, to Louis's grandson, Philip of Anjou, who became Philip V of Spain, Spain had a vast trade, and its American empire appeared to have fallen to France in September seventeen o one England, Holland, and the Holy Roman Empire formed the grand alliance to preserve and balance powers by once of power by once and for all securing Flanders as neutral barrier between Holland and France and by gaining for the emperor who had who was also a habsburg his fair share of spanish inheritance louis soon increased the political stakes and recognized the stuart claim to the english throne in 1701 wars of spanish succession began to soon involved in western europe for the first time in Louis's reign, France went to war with inadequate finances and poorly equipped army and mediocre generals. The English, in contrast, had advanced weaponry, flint rock rifles, paper cartridges, and ring bayonets, and superior tactics, thin maneuverable troop columns rather than traditional deep ones. John Churchill, the Duke of Marlborough. Best stood Louis's soldiers in every major engagement, although French arms triumphed in Spain after the 1709 war became the bloody stalemate. France finally made peace with England at Utrecht in 1713 and with Holland, the Emperor of Rasset, in March 1714. Philip V remained the King of Spain. But England got Gibraltar and the island of Minorco, making, a Medi- making it a Mediterranean power. Louis also recognized the right to the House of Hanover to the English throne. France after Louis XIV. Despite its military reserves in the War of the Spanish Succession, France remained a great power and it was less strong in 1715. In 1680, but still possessed the largest European population in advance. If troubled economy, the administrative structure bequeathed it by Louis XIV. Moreover, even in France and its resources had been drained by the last of the Louis' War, the other major states of Europe were similarly debilitated by Louis the 14th. Louis the 14th was succeeded by his 5-year-old great-grandson Louis the 15th. The young boy's uncle, the Duke of Orléans, became regent and remained so until his death in 1720. The regency marked the financial and moral scandals further undermined by the faltering prestige of a monarchy. John Law and the Mississippi bubble The Duke of Orleans was a gambler. For a time, he turned over the financial management of the kingdom to John Law, a Scottish mathematician and fellow gambler. Law believed an increase in paper money supply would stimulate stimulate France's economy recovery. With the permission of the regent, he established a bank in Paris that issued paper money. Law then organized a monopoly called the Mississippi Company on trading privileges with the French colony in Louisiana and North America. The Mississippi Company also took over the management of the French national debt. The company sh- issued shares of its own stock in exchange for government bonds, which had fallen sharply in value. To redeem large quantities of bonds, law encouraged speculation in Mississippi Company stock. In 1719, the price of the stock rose handsomely. Smart investors, however, took their profits by selling their stock in exchange for paper money from Law's bank, which they then sought to exchange for gold. The bank, however, lacked enough gold to redeem all the paper money bought to it. In 1720, all gold payments were halted by France. Soon thereafter, Law himself fled the country and the Mississippi bubble, as the affair had called it, burst. The fiasco brought a disgrace to the government and sponsored law. The Mississippi Company was later reorganized and functioned profitably, but fear of money and speculation marked French economic life for decades. Renewed authority of the parliaments. The Duke of Orleans made a second decision that also lessened the power of the monarchy, He attempted to draw French nobility once again to the decision-making process of government. He set up a system of councils on which nobles could serve along with bureaucrats. The years of idle noble domestication in Versailles, however, had worked too well, and the nobility seemed to lack both the talent and the desire to govern. The experiment failed. Despite this failure, the French nobles did not surrender their ancient ambition to assert their rights, privileges, and local influence over those of the monarchy the chief featured in the eight, the chief featured of 18th century french political life of the attempt of the nobility to use authority to limit the power of the monarchy and most efficient instruments in the process of the previous mentioned parliament or courts domin- dominated by nobility the Duke of Orleans reversed the previously noted policy of Louis XIV and formally approved the restitution of the full power of the Parliament of Paris to allow or disallow laws. Moreover, he th- throughout the 18th century that other local parliaments also succeeded in identifying their authority and resistance to the monarchy under wider public opinion. This situation meant that under local revolution, the seventeen eighty nine, the parliaments became natural centers that not only for aristocratic but also popular resistance to royal authority. In vast transformation from the days of Louis the Fourteenth, the parliaments rather than the monarchy would come to be seen as nearly representing the nation. By seventeen twenty six, the general political direction of the nation. Came under the authority of Cardinal Fleury. He worked to maintain the authority of the monarchy, including ongoing repression of the Jansuits, while continuing to preserve the local interests of French nobilities, like Walpole in Britain. He pursued economic prosperity in home and abroad, like again Walpole. Again, Like Walpole, after 1740, Fleury could not prevent France from entering a worldwide colonial conflict.